At Riverbank, we believe you can heal, grow, and fulfill God's plans for your life as the power of God touches you through this prophetic teaching by Pastor Dominion. Get excited and hop into it. Let's get into the word. Father, we thank you. Thank you because the entrance of your word gives light. Thank you because there's understanding for us. We do not walk in darkness. We have the light of life. We are doers of the word because we are sponsored by the Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Say loud, amen. All right, please bring out your Bibles. Open to 1 Peter chapter 3. I will read together from verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3. And I want to read from verse 15. Bring out your Bibles, bring out your notepad, and be ready to learn God's word. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Are you there? Response, are you there? All right, read together, one, two, go. You're not there, you're not there. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, are you there now? All right, read together, one, two, go. Glory to God. He says, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready to always give an answer to every man that asketh you for the reason of the hope that you have in Christ. He said, do it with meekness and with fear. In church this month, we'll be teaching a series with titled Christology. Say Christology. And Christology is simply a branch in theology that studies Christ. And today we are narrowing down to teach that Christ is a man. Say Christ is a man. Say one more time. Say Christ is a man. What I'm doing this morning is something in theology called apologetics. It means to defend, to give a defense for Christian faith. And you can see this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, sanctify the Lord your heart. He says, be ready to give an answer to anybody that asks you for the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. And so he's saying, when somebody says, you are just a Christian because you were born into a Christian home, you should be able to say, maybe that's why I started but I've studied the faith. I've examined the facts. And here are the reasons. Here are the facts that I can present to you. That Christianity is the one true religion. That all that the Bible says and all that Jesus posits to be is who he is. Praise the name of the Lord. Listen. He says, be ready. Are you ready to give an answer? Are you prepared? You know when you're ready for an exam and you say, I'm ready for that exam? What it means is before the exam, you sat down and strategized. There are five topics I need to cover. There are 300 pages I need to read. There's information I must grasp. When I don't know something, I go and ask someone. I say, explain this thing to me. It's refusing to get to my head. I don't understand this. That's readiness. And after you've done all of those, you say, I'm ready for the exam. Bring any question you want to bring. So, here's the question I'm posing to you this morning. Are you ready for any question that anyone has for you? Peter said, be ready. Told your neighbor, say, be ready. 
turn to the other neighbor and say, are you ready? So, the Bible did not say, you should just say, well, I believe what I believe. I know what I know. He says, be ready. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So, when you go out to evangelize, and someone is asking you questions. When you see people asking questions, when you see people making statements about polygamy, for example, about domestic violence, for example, about religion, for example, and then they are saying all religions lead to God. It's just different variations. Some people say religion, God, is like a mountain. It depends on the side you're looking from. If you look from one side, it looks like an elephant. If you look from another side, it looks like an, an eagle. If you look from another side, it's a lie. Listen, if there's an elephant in a room and you stand in one place and say from where I'm seeing it is an ant I'm seeing, you are wrong. It's not an ant. You are wrong. It's an elephant. Are you hear what I'm saying? So, it is not true that religion is just every man's idea of looking at it. And the way I see it, there is no God. The Bible says, be ready. God is not afraid for people to investigate him. He said, you will find me. Let me show you something. Oh, this is important. Romans chapter 1. Please open your Bibles very quickly. Romans chapter 1. Oh, Sharabaratina Atask. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 18. Are you there? Romans 1 18. I need more people to be there. Are you there? He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. We've explained this this month already, right? He says they suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, verse 19. He says, oh, read verse 19. Everyone wants to go. You're not all reading. Everyone wants to go. He says, since what may be known about God is plain. Because God made it plain. Listen, if you cannot explain God to people, if you cannot prove divinity to humans, it's not his fault. It's your fault. He says he has made it plain. So, because he has made it plain, the onus is on you to study it, to know it. Be prepared. Have the answer. Have the answer. Listen, if God truly exists and he said in his word that there's what can be known about him and he says you should be prepared to have an answer for those that ask, it means it's, it's left to you right now. Praise the name of the Lord. Say, I'll be prepared. Say it one more time, I'll be prepared. So, let's say for example, as you go around talking to people about Christ, talking to them about your church, you're hyping your pastor and all of those things, and people begin to say, you know, funny things. Like, it's not about a man of God, it's not about church, it's about God. Have you heard that thing before? Have you heard about it? Have you heard it before? That it's not about any man of God. Every man of God is just a man. You are true, but the truth is not complete. Let me show you something. Oh, let me show you something. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to show you something very important. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
<laughs> Are you there? First Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read from verse. Alright, First Corinthians 3, 4 rather. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4. Read together, one to go. Nobody's there. Read together, one to go. He said, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. He says, Are you not carnal? And so, if you read only this verse and you go off, you say, I mean, it's not about Paul, it's not about Apollos. Right? Now, verse 5. He said, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? He says, But ministers through whom you have believed. Right? Good. Now, jump down to verse 21. He says, therefore, let no man glory in... Oh, you're not there. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21. Please look at your Bibles. He says, therefore, let no man glory in what? In men. So, you will think that Paul is supporting all these claims. You want to say them for Paul. One is saying them for Apollos. It's not about men. But that's not all that he says. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14. Thank you very much. Chapter 4 and verse 14. Are you there? Are you there? Alright, we're going to read from verse 14 to 17. He says, read together, I want to go. Alright, he says, I write these things to your shame. Because as my beloved son, I do what? You're not, you're not there. Please open your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. Are we there now? He says, I write this to your, to your shame. As my beloved sons. Who is he talking to? Who is he talking to? The, the, the believers in Corinth. Right? The believers in Corinth. He says, I write this to your shame. Meaning he's about to rebuke them. He says, but as my be sorry, I write not these things to your shame. He says, but as my sons, I warn you. So, now he's warning them. Look at verse 15. He says, for though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have one father. Is he talking about God? Who sent he? So, now he said, one is saying I'm for Apollos. One is saying I'm for Paul. One is saying I'm for Peter. Some other people are saying I'm for Christ. He says, as my sons, I'm warning you. He says, you can have 10,000 instructors. He says, you have one father. And before you think he's talking about the almighty, look at what he said. He says, you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ. He says, yet I have, you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Do you see that? So who is the father he's talking about? Himself. Himself. Remember we're saying, some people can say, look, it's not about any pastor. It's not about any church. It's about Christ. Now, Paul is saying, you can have 10,000 instructors. I'm your father. He even takes it up a notch. Verse 16. Everybody, read together, want to go. 
Oh my goodness. He says, therefore I beseech you. Be followers of who? Ah, the person that is saying is, you're saying I'm for Paul. I'm for Apollos. It's not about those things. Who did he say to follow? Who did he say is your father? So apparently, he can accommodate others and say they might be your instructors. They will contribute one or two things to your faith. He says, I'm your father. And he demands loyalty. Now, this is how to answer. The reason is because people will go out there and they'll confuse you. And then when they explain, you're like, ah, it's true. It's not about any church or any man of God. Even the Bible says, some are saying, I'm for Paul, I'm for Apollos, and it's all carnality. It's about Christ. Yes, but he says, follow me. And he does this again in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Unprovoked, not related to the conversation. He said, be followers of me as I'm following Christ. What am I saying? When you go out there, people would posit things to you. Some of them seem to have scriptural reference to confuse you. The world cannot teach you about God. Cannot teach you about Christianity. It can try its best, but you need to be well-rounded. You need to understand the scope. You need to listen. So that, just like a student that is prepared for exam, no matter how the lecturer tries to trick him and turn the question, he would get his ground. But when you are not prepared, you say, oh, I didn't know. This is what I thought. Say, yeah, it's a tricky question. But those that are prepared, try whatever you want to do. Are you hear what I'm saying? So I'm telling you, listen to me, that the world might present to you things. I might even look for scriptural references. But you need to be well-rounded. You need to be informed. Are you hear what I'm saying? You need to be informed. Today we're learning about Christ is a man. And as basic as you think it is, not everybody believes it. Let me tell you something. Every serious fabric of Christianity has been brought into question. There's a group that doesn't believe anything and strongly opposes every single strand that is important to Christianity. In week one of this month, we treated the fact that Christ is God and we said there are people that say that God doesn't exist. Don't you know that already? Exactly. And then last week, we studied on Christ is King. And we said that he's king of our hearts. He demands our affection. He dictates the leading of our lives. We don't just do anything. We do what he says to do. As a king, he reigns in his kingdom. And he's the one that determines what his subjects will do. Now, what you will not realize is that the things that are dictating how you lead your life has, might not be Christ. The things that determine how you spend your money might not be Christ. The things that determine your perspective to money and how to live a fulfilled life might not be Christ. So, you might come to church and the devil doesn't care about it as far as he can sit in your heart and dictate what, how you lead your life. The Bible says the sower sows the word. After the word has been sown, he says the devil comes and steals it. From your heart. So you claim you know the scriptures, you claim you know the truth. Why aren't you doing it? 
Because the devil has built a throne in your heart. Praise the name of the Lord. Let me say something that might upset you a bit. If your craze for money exceeds your favor from God, there's a problem. Here's the reason why. You will never in your life maybe kneel down and bow down and worship money. But God said it's either you are serving God or mammon. It means you can be chasing money honestly without being crooked. I'm saying you are doing a legitimate business and it's bringing you good money. And money is king of your heart. That's what you don't realize. So it's not about I'm not doing what, uh, Yahoo. If, I'm the, if, if I want to be corrupt, I'll do Yahoo. No, you might do a legitimate business. Give you an example. There's a man in the Bible called the rich fool. How many of you know him? Exactly. This guy did a legitimate business, planted crops. It's grew, brought harvest. He stored the harvest. And says, now my soul will rest. And God says, you fool, tonight your soul will be demanded of you. What was wrong with what he did? He didn't steal from anybody. He says, because you are not rich towards God. Now God has no problem with you being rich. He was the one that told Solomon, I will make you rich. I hear what I'm saying? But Christ must be king in your hearts. He must demand the greatest loyalty. He must be supreme in your life. Let it be. Listen, there are some of you that people know you. That this guy is a hustler. This guy is working hard for money. This guy, they know you about that. And that's okay. But let I want you to also be known as a person of Christ. When your passion for God exceeds your current passion. He's not saying necessarily reduce your passion for money. But make sure that you seek his kingdom first. You get what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm saying? Exactly. And today we are studying that Christ is a man. And you are like, who even debates that? Let me tell you. There's a group of people, there's a rising population of people that do not believe that Christ came in flesh and blood. And you're like, what does that, does it matter? If you like, don't believe. Listen, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter if he's God. If he didn't come as a man, <laughs> we are all deceiving ourselves. Let me show you from the Bible. Open your Bibles to whoosh. First Timothy chapter one, chapter two. Or oh, you know what? Let's have First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse fourteen. First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse fourteen. Let's start from there. Later on, we'll prove that he's a man, and then we'll look at other things. First Corinthians fifteen, verse fourteen. Are you there? Read together. I want to go. Look at what he says. He says, if Christ is not risen. Now, I hope you know, if he was not a man, he would not die. If he did not die, he would not rise. Abi? Now he says, if Christ is not risen, our preaching is trash. And your faith is also trash. Verse 17. If Christ is not risen... Your faith is in vain and you are yet in your sins. It doesn't matter anything you've done. 
You can pray for money tonight. He says, if Christ is not risen, you are still in your sins. It means if he was not a man, we can't even discuss rising from the dead. I hope you know that. So, when somebody says Christ is not a man, and Christ was never a man, and here's what their ideology is, is that Christ is just a legend. You were taught myths and legend in school, right? They didn't teach you people. People that did social studies. Myths and legend. Thank you. That Christ is just an idea. Let me tell you what it means. How many of you know about the Black Panther? You know the movie? You know there's nothing like that in this world, Abby? You know about Spider-Man, you know, and all your faves, right? Batman and the rest. Some of you are so invested, you are, you are debating Marvel versus DC. You are, you, you are taking it too seriously. You are, you are arguing that this person will beat this person, you trash this person. It's just an idea. Their idea is that originally the whole narrative about Christ was just like Black Panther. It was the idea of a person. But the Jews now took it too seriously and now started saying he actually came, you know, he was born of a virgin. It was meant to just be a fancy story. That's what they're saying. Now listen, if it is true, it's worth investigating. Because if it is historically true that Christ never came, you are still in your sins. I hope you know that. You can't just sit down and say, no, I'll believe in Christ, whether he came or not. No, if he did not come, believe all you want. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. Do you get what I'm saying? So, you must be ready. You must be prepared. You must investigate the facts to be able to find out, are these arguments, are these allegations true? And if they are not true, prepare your defense. You get what I'm saying? Now, here's what I'm saying. What I'm teaching you today, you might not know anybody that believes in it. But let me tell you, I assure you that the population of people that believe this thing I'm saying is increasing. You probably have met people that have claimed that they don't believe in God, that they claim that they are this and they are that. This one I'm telling you, they are coming for you. They are coming for you. Praise the name of the Lord. And if you hear, see, when you listen to atheists try to tell you that there's no God, you just say, please, please, you are just stressed. Hmm? You need therapy. Things have happened, Abby. It's been a rough time. Hmm? Pandemic was rough for you, Abby. They broke your heart around that period soon. And then they laid you off. I get your stress. That's why I think God doesn't exist. I get. When people say that they are this and that and that, you might argue, but this one, when you hear the argument, even you, you shake. Praise the name of the Lord. So it's important, apparently, that Christ came in the flesh. I'll start from here, and I'm going to lay my arguments this way. Let me first of all show you from the Bible that the Bible says Christ came in flesh and blood. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. We're going to read together. Are you there? All right, want to go. For there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and men. Who is that? Woo! Glory to God. He says there's one God, and there's one in-between guy, between God and men. He says, the man Jesus. Clear, right? All right. And then there are other scriptures like Hebrews chapter 2, verse... 14. 
Oh, this is important. This is so important. He says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. Are you there? Response, Hebrews 2.14. Are you there? Please open your Bibles. He says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. Meaning, because these people are humans. He also likewise partook of the same. That through death he might destroy him that have the power of death. That by becoming a man, he died for the sins of men, so that men might live towards God. Glory to God. So if he did not become a man, he couldn't have died for men. In fact, it's clear in scriptures. Jump down to verse 16. Are you there? He says, For verily he took not on him the nature of what? Angels. He says, but of the seed of Abraham, that's human beings. He says, whereof in all things it behoved him that he be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and just high priest for the reconciliation of sins. So what's he saying? He's saying Christ had to be a man to die for men. When you say, when people say that, look, um, you know, Christ could have died for angels, the devil can be saved, it's not true. The reason why men are the ones that can be saved and not angels is because Christ became a man so that he can die for men. We needed a representative as a man to be in front of God, to appeal and to appease God on behalf of men. You get what I'm saying? Alright, what we've said so far is that Christ is a man, isn't it? Now, so I just showed you from the Bible. However, let me prepare their own defense for them. And I'm going to do it in a systematic fashion. And I want you to pay attention and learn the trajectory I'll follow. The reason is this. Many of the people that claim that Christ is just... Hallelujah. All right, sorry about that. Many of the people that claim that Christ is just an idea that the Jews took too seriously and started behaving as if he actually exists sound like they are sound theologians. If you hear them talk, you'll be marveled. But they are the most ignorant theologians in the entire universe. In fact, let me, let me give you this fact, right? There is no renowned theologian and here's what theology is. It's a study of deity. Right? It means that there are Islamic theologians. It's not about Christ. It's not about God. Theology means you study deity. That's it. There's no theologian that is informed. It doesn't matter what he believes. He can be an Islamic theologian. He can be an anything that agrees with this idea. Because there are fewer things you can prove in history more than the fact that Christ was a man. So that's a given. Do you get what I'm saying? That's a given. But if you listen to these people I'm talking about, if they talk to you, you go believe. So the facts can be stacked up to your advantage. But if you do not know and if you are not confident, you will lose the argument. You will now begin to sound like you don't know what you're saying. They will begin to bring facts that have no foundations. 
I'm saying there's no theologian of any religion that agrees with these sects. I mean, there are people that are theologians as atheists. They do not agree with this one, that Christ was named man. So, there are fewer historical facts you can prove better than the fact that Christ is a man. But if you are not taught properly, you go mess up. Praise the name of the Lord. So, let's start with historians. One of the most renowned, I'm sorry, this is going to be a theology and an apologetics class, but just learn it because you need it. Amen? One of the most renowned historians of the first century, by first century I mean a hundred years from when Christ was born and he died, right? One of the most renowned historians is Josephus. How many of you have heard about Josephus? All right. Here's the interesting thing about Josephus. How many of you know that Josephus was not a Christian? He wasn't. He was just a historian. The guy was even a dubious guy. Let me tell you what happened. You know that at the time that Jesus was born, the Romans were ruling over the Jews, right? Exactly. Josephus was a Jew. But he was not a Christian. There are two different things, Abby. Exactly. So, the Romans wanted to, began to oppress the Jews. And they oppressed those people big time. What Josephus did was he turned against the Jews and supported the Romans so much so that they gave him a political office among the Romans. But he was a historian. It means that he would write things that have happened in history. Josephus, that was partnering and was working with the Roman authority that was fighting against Christians, wrote about Christ. And spoke about how Christ came and Christ, you know, lived. And there were people that believed in him. And he died because Pontius Pilate, you know, condemned him to death. Now, that's so powerful. In fact, you know what? Let me step back and first give you certain things that would inform you. And help you in presenting arguments about these things. Is that okay? What I'm going to do is this. None of us in this room was alive when Christ was born. Abby, none of our parents were alive, right? None of our grandparents, our great-grandparents were alive, right? It means that everybody that knows anything, or most of the people that know anything about it at all, just read history, isn't it? We can only examine history to prove what we are saying, isn't it? So it's a battle of whose historical record is more accurate, isn't it? You do not know for a fact that Christ was born. I can carry you to an empty hole and say, this is the tomb he was buried. You can't know for sure, can you? Exactly. Because what's there, that, is his DNA there? Is his handwriting there? Exactly. But here is what we can do. The reason is because whether you are for or against this argument, you are, you are purely arguing about history. And history is a branch of science that is different from all other types of science. You know, if you went to school or you paid attention in school, that for you to say this is a scientific fact, you have to be able to repeat the experiment, isn't it? And get the same result, isn't it? But that's not the same with history. How do we want to repeat the experiment of the death of Christ? Once it happens, it's happened. 
Once he's born of a virgin, there's no rewind, there's no replay, isn't it? But here's what you can do. There are things that historians use to check if a historical claim is accurate or inaccurate. So, whilst in normal science, you want to repeat the experiment to know if this theory is true, in history, the way to know whether a claim is accurate or inaccurate is that there are certain parameters of evaluation. What it means is this. If the Christian claim about Christ being a man coming in the flesh passes those parameters, then we can say with some degree of accuracy that Christ indeed came. Clear? If the claim of those that say that Christ did not come as a man passes those parameters, then we have reasons to believe them. Is that clear? Now, I know that because you're a Christian and you came to church this morning, you already have a bias. Or at least you hope that at the end of this study, we'll not come to a conclusion that Christ is not a man. And he didn't come as a man. But here's what you must do. You must be able to take away your bias and say, these are historical parameters. It's not about, it's not, these are not historical parameters for Christianity. No. If you want to prove that there was ever a Pontius Pilate or there was a whatever, Aristotle, anybody, Plato, anybody, these are the parameters you want to use to check. Is that okay? There are five of them. I'll give them to you and then we'll see if our claim passes those parameters. Are we good? Alright, five things on the historic, historian's wish list. Five things on the historian's wish list. I need you to write them. Number one, nearness of dates. What I say it is? Alright. I'll explain it. Number two, extensive talk extensive talk number three disinterest or you know lack of bias disinterest to be disinterested or to not have any bias number four is corroboration corroboration is is um, spelled as pronounced corroboration. Write it anyhow. It's your notes. You know what you wrote. And number five is without collaboration. Is that clear? Number one is what? Number two? Number three? Alright. Number four? Number five? Exactly. So, here's what we're saying. When we say that somebody, a historian wrote about a particular incident. We want to believe he's accurate if the date of the incident and the date at which he wrote it are not too far apart. For example, if somebody in this room stands up now and say that they want to write about the amalgamation of the Northern Protectorate of Nigeria, that's 
you 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 read that you, you you were there we will not believe you isn't it however so it's not about the age of the person isn't it some of you are in your 20s right or in your 18s your teenage years teenagers i'm just looking. so it's not so let's say for example a teenager right but if you were a teenager and you were like 18 in 1914 when the amalgamation was happening we would believe you more than if ay stands up and says ah i was there i can remember some things that happened isn't it so the nearness of the date of when the historian is writing to the date of the incidents makes us more prone to believing that he's accurate the next one is extensive talk the next one is extensive talk Here's what it means. It means we want this historian to tell us a lot. Alright. We want the historians to talk a lot. Tell us a lot of things. We don't want you to just say amalgamation and then we we'll not believe. Oh yes, there was a no. We want you to. If the person can tell us a lot of stuff, it gives us more details. Do you get what I'm saying? Because somebody just mentions Jesus. If Josephus just mentioned Jesus, it still doesn't mean anything. But if you can say a lot of things, then we have things to work with. Is it clear? Number three, if he doesn't have any interest, if he's not trying to push the Christian agenda, then most likely what he said is true. Do you get what I'm saying? If he is not trying to push the Christian agenda, like we said, he wasn't a Christian. If anything, he was fighting with Christians. Amen. So if anything, he was fighting with Christians, right? So... He doesn't have any interest in pushing the Christian agenda. So we are prone to believe, look, what's the point? What's his motive? He's, he wasn't like he was trying to make it true. He's probably just reporting what happened. Is it clear? It's like if you're in a room and your friend fought with somebody that is not your friend, and then they, they ask you and you're the only witness. Chances are, even if your friend started the fight, you will deny it, isn't it? Eh... All right, so chances are that you denied, right? But because you have no interests, you're like, look, this is what happened. This one is a bike man. This one has a car. I don't know any of them. It's the car that jammed the bike man. People can go to anywhere you want to go to. It. Right? The next one is corroboration. What corroboration means is that if wisdom writes something, and Jess writes something, and Ruth writes something, we want to be able to compare what they wrote. Right? And see that what do we do? Did it agree? If you say the bike man was the one that jammed the car, then another person says, no, the man was just walking. Then the car jammed him. We don't even know how the bike came about. Then another person say the two of them were on the bike. Then they fell. And somehow a car that has nobody was just rolling on the hill and came to his. It doesn't agree. Do you get what I'm saying? It doesn't agree. But if we see that your narratives agree, then there's, we can believe that, okay, there's element of fact in it. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And let me say this to you. This is very important. Many times, even with corroboration, people would miss it in minor details. And some people claim that those minor variations is proof that the Bible is not true. It's not true. In fact, when everything that everybody is saying aligns, 
we have reason to doubt. That's number five. Number five is that they do not collaborate. It means you do not come and say, um, what should we say? Now, when we come together and say, what should we say? It means we are collaborating. We can change the facts. Do you get what I'm saying? It means that our testimony is not reliable. Do you get what I'm saying? All right. So, here's a rundown again. Number one, we need to know that the person that wrote it lived close to the date of the event. He spoke extensively about the event. He has no interest whatsoever about the subject matter. His testimony and the testimony of many other people agree. Do you get what I'm saying? And that there's no collaboration. Collaboration means that all of them are saying exactly the same thing. Let me give you an example. During my NYSC, um, very funny story. Um, I got bored of being where I was and then I was feeling feverish and I said it in passing to my mom and then she got very agitated and said I should come home. And since nothing was happening there, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go home. So I told my LGI, you know what, I feel sick. They said I should come home. I'm going home. Everybody knows I don't play with people's health before someone dies in your hand. So he told me that I should go home. So that's how I went. I was not sick. Just, you know, your body just do you somehow. You just rest and then you'll be okay. That's how I went home for like two months. But that's how I finished my NYC. From there, I was just going to sign and collect money. So, after a while, after like two months of being at home, one day my LGI called me and said, ah, what's happening? I was like, oh, this is what's happening, this is what's happening, this is what's happening. And then, there was this, my, there was this man that was not related to us, but we called him our uncle. You know those kind of people, right? Exactly. So, um, so he was the one talking with my LGI. And he had told my LGI that, oh, he's my dad's brother and all of that stuff. That, oh, my God, that, you know, we're just watching his health and all of that stuff and all of that stuff. So later on, my LGI called me and said, ah, how far? I hope you're getting better. I said, you know, now when you see the phone ring, you change your voice. Hello? Mm, ah, well, you know. And then he said, yeah. And that, it was your dad's brother that called me, right? I said, no, he's my uncle. Is that I said it? I was like, oh, that's brother's uncle. So, because what they said to say is that he's my uncle, I wasn't thinking. Do you get what I'm saying? I wasn't thinking. It was, so what? That's it. So, the man probably told my LGI, oh, I'm his uncle and this and this. And my uncle figured out, your uncle is your daddy's brother. Is your daddy's brother, B? So, when you are collaborating, your testimony will be the same thing. Uncle, uncle, uncle. Once somebody says daddy's brother, you are confused. Do you get what I'm saying? So, the same thing. When we see that it's the exact same thing that this one says, that it's the exact same thing that this one says, and it's the exact same thing, we might not be able to trust their testimonies. you get what I'm saying? Good. So now, let's look at history. And look at people that spoke about the fact that Christ was a man. And see if they pass this test. Now, here are things you need to know. In history, right, if somebody wrote something a hundred years after it happened, the person's testimony is reliable. Are you know what I'm saying? Yes. If somebody wrote something a hundred years after it happened, it's reliable. If you wrote it 200 years, it's less reliable. I know today, because we are very fast in this generation. After two weeks, you can't remember. Do you know that you can't remember the trendy issue, hot issue that was happening two weeks ago? How many of you can remember? Two weeks ago, what was happening? There was hot gist in this country. 
It was about two weeks ago that that musician died, or two or three weeks ago. Do you know that? It looks like it's a long time ago. So, because we move away too quickly, we, we forget all of these things. Do you get what I'm saying? Exactly. By Friday now, most people have forgotten about, you know, the blessed soul of Deborah. Because we move on too quickly. So, but in history, if somebody wrote something a hundred years after it's happened, their testimony was reliable. Here's the reason why. There's something that is in history is known as oral tradition. It means that everything that everybody knew, somebody else told them. So if you know the Bible, somebody told you the Bible, somebody chanted it to you, you learn the chant and chant it to your children. You learn the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you tell it to your children that learn it and tell it to their own children because they couldn't read and there was no book to read. Only a few percentage of the people could read. Less than 10% of the people could read. Do you get what I'm saying? So people passed on information by gist, by talking. So if somebody says something 100 years, yes, it was a reliable testimony. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, all right. And this might even get more fascinating going forward. So Josephus lived within 100 years of when Jesus died. So he passed the test of nearness to the dates. I've explained this to you so that when somebody now says it's a hundred years, it's not reliable. No, in history, it's reliable. Did you get what I'm saying? Yes. Extensive talk. He didn't speak so extensively. But he said enough for us to know. And the reason why he didn't speak so extensively is because he didn't write, sorry, he didn't write so extensively is because how many people are reading? Do you get what I'm saying? I said less than 10% of the population could read. Do you get what I'm saying? However, he said enough for us to know. He didn't have any interests. If anything, he was fighting against Christians. But he was clear that Christ came. Corroboration, the things he said, as we'll soon see, corroborated with what others said. And then he wasn't collaborating with who? Nobody said anything. He was the only one. Do you get what I'm saying? Good. That's Josephus. Then there's First Clement. How many of you know First Clement? All right, First Clement. Not in church. <laughs> First Clement was, and, and these are the, the names I'm calling are names you can go and read about. Jonathan, there are names you can go and read about. First Clement was a Christian, and I think he was a Jew. And he said a lot of exhaustive things about Christ. Let me see if I can read a few statements from First Clement. He had his own book that he wrote. Remember, he's a historian and he wrote, right? Exactly. So he spoke, he said, Christ spoke words to heal people. That's First Clement 2 1. His sufferings were before my, your eyes. First Clement 2 1 also. The blood of Christ is precious to the Father, pouring out salvation. That's chapter 7, verse 4. These are the statements of First Clement. Remember, we're talking about historians that wrote things. All right. He says, The blood of the Lord brought redemption. He was a Christian. That's why he knew all these things. Right? Jesus taught gentleness and patience. Alright? So, he, he spoke about that also. So, basically, remember he said, his sufferings were before our eyes. The blood of Christ is precious to the Father, poured out for salvation. The blood of the Lord brought redemption. It means he's saying, this person died. Do you get what I'm saying? This person died, and therefore that gives evidence to the fact that he was indeed a man. Is it clear so far? All right. 
Clement also wrote not too far away from, um, from when Josephus wrote. But Josephus wrote before First Clement. Is that okay? So those are two people in history. However, let's leave history and come to the Bible now. And then you might learn some interesting things about the Bible. Um, in the Bible, I'm going to start with the letter of Paul. Because I'm speaking chronologically. Remember we said the first person that wrote was who? Was who? Josephus. Then we said first Clement, um, Clement also wrote, right? Exactly. Then another person who wrote chronologically was Paul. In fact, in the New Testament, the first of everything in the New, all the books you know in the New Testament, the first that was written was first Thessalonians. Yeah, it wasn't book of Matthew. It wasn't Mark. It wasn't Luke. It wasn't John. John was one of the last to have been written. And Paul spoke in the book of Thessalonians about the fact that Christ came to die. Now, Paul wrote first Thessalonians at about 40 years when Jesus died. You see that now? So, his testimony is near the date. Do you get what I'm saying? And obviously, spoke, Paul spoke extensively about Christ. Right? We know that he has interests. So, we might want to pick what he says, right? Carefully. Do you get what I'm saying? However, he spoke extensively about Christ. And then also, um, he did not corroborate. Who is he corroborating? Who is he collaborating? He didn't collaborate. Who is he collaborating with? Who has written anything? Do you get what I'm saying? So we can, we can, we are more prone to believe in his testimony because there's nobody he could have been copying. Do you understand? And we know that there's corroboration because what he said and what Josephus would write much later and what Clement would write much later agreed. Do you get what I'm saying? These are historical books. So, there was Paul that wrote. And Paul wrote a lot of things. He also wrote the book of Romans and I'm just going to read some statements from the book of Romans. Is that okay? The reason is because many of these people argue that Paul did not believe that Christ came as a man. You, you'd be surprised what people think. In Romans chapter 15, verse 9, verse 8, Paul says, For I say that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show the truthfulness of God. He said Christ became a servant. Obviously, that's, that Christ became a man. Do you get what I'm saying? In order to confirm the promise given to the patriarch. Do you get what I'm saying? Now, remember when we taught on salvation is the promise of the Father. Yes, he said it was a confirmation. It mean, he says, he, what's the promise? He told Abraham, he says, in your seed, from your children, from your child. Do you get what I'm saying? That's why when you read the book of Matthew, you see that the summary is that um, Jesus is the son of Abraham. Another thing that God said to, one of the promises was, he promised David. He says, you know, the throne shall not leave your, your, your lineage. And so if you see the summary in Matthew, this begat, this begat, this begat, this begat, this. You see that Christ is the son of David. Christ is the son of Abraham. That's the summary. 
All right? And those were the promises. Now, if Christ is the son of Abraham, meaning when you draw the lineage of Abraham, you come down, you see Christ. When you draw the lineage of David, you come down, you see Christ. It means Christ has to be a man. They couldn't have given birth to an ideology. They couldn't have given birth to Black Panther. Do you get what I'm saying? Exactly. So if Paul says that God fulfilled that promise, it means that Christ was indeed a man. Is it clear? Alright, that's important. So there was Paul that wrote, and Paul wrote a lot of things. I don't know if I should read some of them to you. But he wrote a lot of things. Another one um, that Paul wrote is in, I think, Galatians. From chapter 1, verse 18 to 19. He spoke along the same lines also. Now, so that's, that's that about that. Alright? Next thing is this. When we move away from Paul, we go to... Um, the first of the four Gospels that was written. What's the first of the four Gospels that was written? Sorry? Eh? Thessalonians. Matthew. Those from Matthew, please signify by a show of hands. Nobody believes again. You can add that to yourself. Thank you, confident person. Who else? Who has any other opinion? First of the four Gospels that was written. Actually, it was Mark. Mark was the first one that was written. And very long story, right? But when you see Mark is the book of Mark, he spoke about the birth of Christ and all of these things, right? So, we, and it was near the dates. Now, the last of the four Gospels that was written was the book of John, and it was written um, at about 90 AD. Do you understand? That's about 50 years after, sorry, about, how many years after Christ has died? It's not 90. 90 years after Christ was born. Not that he died, 90 years after he was born. So that's within the 100 years window, isn't it? Good. So, Mark was written much earlier. Alright? Around maybe 50 AD. Alright? And Mark gives clear testimony about the Christ was born, Christ was a man, and all of those things. The next that was written was what? Sorry? The next was Matthew. Was it Matthew or Luke? It was, it was, it was Luke. It was Luke. I beg your pardon. It was Luke. It was Luke. Luke was the next that was written. And Luke said a lot of things. Now, these are historical documents. Let me explain something to you. You have to realize that when these books were written, they were written as historical books and not books of the Bible. Do you know that? Mark did not sit down and say, let me write a book of the Bible. It was much later that these books were added to what we knew, know as the scriptures and then we have it as the Bible. So, these books were originally historical documents. Do you get what I'm saying? They were historical documents that were in circulation. And for the purpose of this discussion, you have to look at it that way. Now, obviously, we know that the Holy Ghost inspired them. But he obviously did not inspire them to write things that did not happen. Is it clear? So, they wrote these things, and these things were historical documents. And then from this historical document, we see that it's clear. I mean, the book of Mark is replete with proof that he was a man. He came, he ate, he discussed. He was born by somebody. 
Same thing with the book of Luke. The book of Luke starts in an interesting way. Let me show you. Because I said they were written as what? The books were written as what? Alright, so let's look at it. Luke 1.1. 1, 1. I'm going to be very fast. I'm out of time already. Luke 1, 1, 4, as many have taken in hand to set forth in order the declaration of things, you know what, let me read from the NIV. It makes it much easier for you to catch it. Luke 1, 1, are you, are you there? He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things which have been fulfilled, just as they were handed down to those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. He says many people have gone to do their studies and to write about these things that have been handed over to us by oral traditions. He says, with this in mind, verse 3, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too have decided to write an orderly account. So, this is Luke's declaration of what he's about to do. He says, many people have written about it. I have studied it, I've examined it, and I've decided to write an orderly account of what's happened. He was writing to Theophilus. He says, to most excellent Theophilus. So he was writing to, the, to a political leader and was telling him about what has happened historically. Many people have written it, have studied all of their narratives, and then have come up with a chronological account. This was a historical document. Do you get what I'm saying? Let me tell you something. Because, because he wrote to a person of authority, you know he had to check his facts well. That's number one. Number two, he said he has checked the facts. Let me see. Let me tell you something. Listen. Because these people were making statements that were near the date of the incidents, we have more reason to believe it. For example, you see Peter in Acts chapter 3 or so talking to the, um, to the authorities and said, you killed the prince of life. Could he have been saying, ah, you guys, now, let, me, let me give an example. This will help you understand. So G Peter said, you killed the prince of life. Right? He was talking to the authority and he says, you killed the prince of life. So he is addressing the people and charging them with an allegation. Right? Isn't it? Exactly. So let me draw your mind back to something you might have watched and see how it doesn't make sense to claim that Christ is not a man. If you had watched the Black Panther movie, you remember that almost at the beginning of his actions, there was a time that there was a boss, the part that they showed Sambisa Forest, or at least the claim was Sambisa Forest. You remember that part? Where his girlfriend was in the back of the truck, remember? And it was, so the allusion is that um, the terrorist group had captured her, isn't it? And then they were going, imagine you now meet the head of the terrorist group in real life and say, you, you, you kidnapped the wife of the black panther. Does it make sense? Will it make sense? Do you get what I'm saying? That it's happened in a movie. 
You now want to carry it out in real life and charge him with the allegation. Will he make sense? So it would not make sense for you to say that Peter is charging these people with an allegation of killing the Christ. And you are saying that it was meant to be an ideology that the Christians took too far. It doesn't make sense. If I'm charging them with the allegation and they were there, it's not that I'm talking behind them, I'm talking to them like this. It means it happened. He was a historical figure that was alive and the people that charged him, the people that committed him to death were there in front of Peter and he was addressing them. So it's either you want to say Peter too, join, is a metaphorical figure. Pilate too. It's just not true. It doesn't make sense. Do you get what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense. So, there are many, 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 many scriptures where we see people talk. The same thing in, in, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost had um, fell on them. Paul preached and was talking about the Christ that, will, that died. And Peter preached. And that event had happened not long after Jesus had died. Do you get what I'm saying? So, if he's telling them that Pilate killed Jesus... Just a few, maybe days or weeks or years after Jesus had died. It doesn't make sense for you to say it was just a thought. It was just a story that the Jews took too far. Or that Peter did not mean it literally. And he was pointing at Pilate. That doesn't make sense. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you catch what I'm saying? Exactly. So, when we look at all of these accounts, the account of Paul. Paul, for example, said... He said this in Galatians, where I said to read verse, one to, verse 18 to 19. He said, after that I had my encounter, first of all, he says, look, I was killing the Christians. I was persecuting the Christians. Then I had an encounter and then my mindset changed. He said, I stayed and I did not mix with anyone. Through revelation, I grew and I knew what God's word was. He says, after a while, I went to Jerusalem. He says, at another event, I went to Jerusalem and I met with James, the brother of the Lord. Do you get what I'm saying? So he says, I met with James, the brother of Jesus. Could he have been saying that he met with James, the brother of a story that was created? Imagine I'm saying that, oh, I traveled and I met the brother of the Black Panther. It makes no sense. Do you get what I'm saying? This is not a movie. So, when we see the statements in the Bible, when we see the actions of people in the Bible, we know that Jesus indeed came. Do you get what I'm saying? So, we see testimony in Mark, we see in Matthew, and in Luke, which is the next one that was written, we see in Matthew. Now, here's how you know that there's no corroboration. And then I hope I can just run through this, and then we're out of here. But here is it. There are things that you see in the book. The first one that was written was Mark, right? There are things you see in Luke that you will not see in Mark. It means Luke was not copying Mark, isn't it? Exactly. Then there was Matthew. There are things you see in Matthew that only Matthew wrote. Luke did not write. It means he wasn't just writing what Luke wrote. Then there are things in the book of John that you see only in the book of John. These things corroborate. Now, there are things you see in Matthew that you might see in Mark, which is normal. But because there are also things we can see in Matthew that we would not see in Mark that wrote earlier than Matthew, it's proof that they were not just copying each other and trying to sell the same story. Is it clear? So, 
Basically, what I'm saying is this. In proving or giving a defense for Christ, you must be a deep thinker. Don't just accept things because people throw them at you. You must be able to step back and examine the facts. This is so important. Praise the name of the Lord. I know this is not one of those preachings that will get you pumped, but this one is important. If you do not learn this skill, it would weaken the effect of Christianity. Let me tell you something. Many times, people in the world are more vocal than we are. And we need to learn how to be very vocal. You need to learn how to lend your voice. Check the facts. And lend your voice to the narrative. When you see those kind of things flying around, don't just shiver and run away. No. Study it. Look at your Bible. Ask questions. And present your defense. What I said is be prepared. Is that okay? What I say? Rise up on your feet. Say, I'm going to be ready to give a defense for the Christian faith. I will not shy away from confrontations. I will not shy away from lending my voice. I will be prepared. I will be equipped. I will be ready. I will have an answer. I would answer the questions of...